We tend to view the past using rose-colored glasses, but should we? This show delves into the dark recesses of human history to see if the good old days were truly the good old days. This is Kinsey, and I'm a ding ate my baby old. This is Ellie, and I'm bat boy old. Wow, four episodes. If you, our lovely listeners, are enjoying this, please go on your favorite platform and give us a five-star review. It doesn't really matter what you say, but your ratings can help us get discovered by other listeners, so we can keep bringing you these morbid and absurd moments in history. Also, please email us and let us know your thoughts or just to say hi. If you know of an event that we need to cover, shoot us a message. Ellie, did I ever tell you about some of the pets I had growing up? No, not really. I've had birds, I've had a turtle, and I've had rabbits. And, well, unfortunately, my mother did not like my rabbit very much. She thought the rabbit pooped a lot. And because it pooped so much, she told me that the rabbit ran away. And later I found out that she took it to the butcher, had it killed, and made into rabbit soup. And... Uh she did it she did <laughs> and, <laughs> and to this day i still don't eat soup because of because of this <laughs> i need i need so much therapy from this <laughs> that's the most valid reason to not eat soup of any of the reasons i've ever heard of not eating soup <laughs> i i don't that's so I, terrible <laughs> did i mention i was like 4 years old it was horrible oh my god I'm scarred for life. <laughs> I thought it was bad when my mom told me we were eating Peter Rabbit. At least it wasn't my Peter Rabbit. <laughs> I think your mom and my mom would get along. <laughs> They'd be besties. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, Ellie, we always hear people saying, oh, I miss the good old days. You know, the good old days before doctors and fake news ruined everything. And now it's time for our Latin word of the day, lepus. And that's right, lepus. That's rabbit for (laughs) y'all. And here's a bonus word, canicularis. And that means pertaining to rabbit. So take your pick, lepus or canicularis. Canicularis sounds like it belongs on a very specific scientific diagram of a mammalian's genitals. So does to be sure, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know what? I want you to dig up that lucky rabbit's foot keychain, grab some popcorn, sit back, relax, and let me set the scene for you. Back in the good old days. Our story begins in the early 18th century, right before the first Great Awakening began. Not as exciting as it sounds. This is just when the evangelical revival took place across Great Britain and the 13 colonies. Our story also occurred shortly before the Irish famines of the 1740s. This time in history also brings us the piano, the steam engine, and the mercury thermometer by a guy whose last name is Fahrenheit. You know, Ellie, I always wondered how things got their name. But in this case, it's not an exciting story. Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit was born in modern-day Poland to a German family. Then he moved to the Dutch Republic, which is modern-day Netherlands, and he was a pioneer in exact 
thermometry. The end. Sounds like how most things got their names, honestly. Someone either came up with it or they stole it from someone else and popped their name on it. (laughs) I wanted some more excitement behind it. Like, how did he discover the thermometer? (laughs) (laughs) In all seriousness, before we begin this episode, I feel like I need to put a disclaimer here. It's a bit of a spoiler, but if you looked at the title or the image, then you'll know we're going to talk about a woman who allegedly gave birth to rabbits. While I'm no doctor, this woman may have had some mental issues. Please know that any of the jokes that I will make have nothing to do with making fun of mental health. Mental health is a serious issue not to be joked about. This is a comedy podcast, and we're here to comment on documented history, the public response, and really the fact that this absurd story actually happened at all. Now, back to our story. In 1726, Mary Toft was a 25-year-old illiterate servant from Godalming outside of Surrey in England. She was described as a short, stocky woman of a sullen temper, gloomy, morose, and overall moody. Just how every woman wants to be described. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to admit, I didn't even know what the word sullen meant, and I had to Google it. (laughs) Anywho. This source was not kind to her husband either. Joshua Toft was a 26-year-old journeyman clothier. Now, the University of Glasgow's library special Hunterian collection actually said that he was not even a good clothier at that. What is a clothier? Somebody who makes clothes. Oh, well, I guess it, I guess I could have guessed that. It seems too easy. <laughs> Let me tell you, life at the Toft house was very difficult with Mopey Mary, Mediocre Josh, and their three very young children. Now, in July, Mary unfortunately had a miscarriage, yet she still looked visibly pregnant a month later. In September, she gave birth to something her mother-in-law described as resembling a liverless cat. Not hairless, not misshapen, but a liverless cat. I mean, does a liverless cat look different than a livered cat? I had to go late because <laughs> why wouldn't I? <laughs> of course. No answer satisfied me. If you, our lovely listeners, know the difference between a livered and a liverless cat, you know, besides the obvious answer, one has a liver and one doesn't, please email us or find us on Instagram or Facebook and please help me satisfy my curiosity. I also may have been at an airport when I Googled that. Now, (laughs) imagine you're in an airport and you look over and someone is typing liverless cat into Google. And then I end up Googling, did anyone give birth to an animal? So yes, I'm still on that watch list somewhere with an ever-growing number of odd and concerning Google searches. Definitely on a watch list. (laughs) Anywho, back to Mary and her quote-unquote drab life. Her mother-in-law, Ann Toft, and her neighbor, Mary Gill, contacted the local town obstetrician, John Howard. Now, Dr. Johnny here was an amazing doctor, just, just the best. While examining Mary at different times, he reportedly observed the birth of a rabbit's head, the legs of a cat, and in one day alone, nine dead baby rabbits. In fact, Dr. Johnny here kept some of these parts as specimens in a jar in his office. Now, another source, a book called The Impostress Rabbit Breeder, 
Karen Harvey, the author, says that the rabbits were often delivered with their sharp nails intact and that the animal remains were inside of Mary for several weeks. Ugh. Sidebar time. Just what do you need to do to become a doctor at this time in England? Well, I looked it up. First, there's a very clear distinction between physicians and surgeons. Physicians were called doctors and surgeons were still misters because surgeons were not required to go to medical school. Of course not. <laughs> They're only going to cut up people. Why yeah, do you need whatever. <laughs> They're going to die anyways. <laughs> oh, you just wait until I describe what the medical school looks like. You didn't oh, even no. need it. <laughs> Now, surgeons in general could trace their professional lineage to barbers, and their training in the 1700s was by apprenticeship. No schooling required. Doctors, on the other hand, required years of schooling, but absolutely no hands-on or practical lectures. In fact, the only requirement to attend medical school in the 1700s was just being able to afford the tuition. In some cities, you can even have a mail-order diploma without even attending. They didn't have Zoom back then. I don't know if you knew this. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) And before you say anything about doctors attending medical school, remember, this was back in the so-called miasma era, when people believed that bad air, like smells, caused disease. In fact, this belief persisted until the mid-1800s. In fact, I have a quote here from one professor in this so-called medical school in July of 1844, 120 years after our story. And he's teaching and he says, from inhaling the odor of beef, the butcher's wife obtains her obesity. Okay. To be fair, (laughs) anyone entering the bathroom after my husband would also agree that bad air causes disease. (laughs) But does the smell of it make you fat? (laughs) I mean, I have heard people say the smell of donuts does, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> and all of this is still before Ignis Semmelweis is insisting that his medical students wash their hands after handling cadavers in 1847. Oh, it didn't even stick. Poor Semmelweis. <laughs> <laughs> so doctoring wasn't what it is now. Back to birthed animal parts. Word got out through some sort of medieval Twitter. Yes, yes, I know. This is technically after medieval times, but medieval Twitter just sounded pretty cool. Given the good doctor's affinity for keeping specimens, I highly doubt Dr. Johnny here was too keen on keeping doctor-patient confidentiality. I mean, after all, she gave birth to nine dead baby rabbits. He had to tell everybody. And around this time, and for hundreds of years before that, it was common practice in England and other parts of the world to display medical oddities such as conjoined twins for money. So this sensational story eventually reached the king's court. The king sent out his personal surgeon anatomist, which is terrifying because I would assume that all surgeons are automatically anatomists, but what do I know? Nah. So King George I sent out Nathaniel St. Andre, the Royal Swiss Surgeon Anatomist, and Samuel Molyneux, the Secretary to the Prince of Wales, uh, to investigate this issue. We need to pause this part of the story here and tell you a little bit about this fantastic and amazing Surgeon Anatomist, Nathaniel St. Andre. 
The Paris Review describes him as, quote, an opportunistic dilettante with a taste for ornately embroidered shirts. Apparently, St. Andre only became interested in medicine because he saw that surgeons can become quite wealthy. And yes, we did discuss how one became a doctor or a surgeon in these good old days, but St. Andre decides to go a different route. According to one source, he just decided one day that he would be a surgeon anatomist. That's right, he just declared himself a surgeon and he magically became one. Naturally. This charlatan, in another source, started off as a fencing instructor, but he was so bad at fencing that he was injured by a student. He required medical attention and was fascinated by the surgeon that took care of him. Other sources say that he did apprentice under another surgeon, but then he later pretended to have been poisoned when he visited a woman with venereal disease. I don't know how the two are related, but apparently they were. So he pretended to be poisoned to get out of it or <laughs> hit it and quit it kind of thing? I don't what <laughs> I don't get it. Why? <laughs> All we know that the court offered money to capture this poisoner, but no poisoner was ever caught. <laughs> hmm. Suspicious. Let's talk about King George the First. The German-born English king was described as overindulged and undereducated, surrounded by dastardly foreigners. In fact, BritRoyals.com says that he came in the late 1600s to England knowing very little English, bringing along 18 cooks and his two mistresses, one fat and one tall. Those two mistresses came to be known as the elephant and the castle. Flattering. <laughs> I don't know which is worse. I know. <laughs> well, other than that, there's really not much worth mentioning about him. Although his son, George II, who succeeded him, died during his morning poop from a possible heart attack. So there's that. What a way to go. <laughs> Back to our original story. St. Andre, surgeon anatomist extraordinaire, went to visit Mary. He reported that her abdomen was pulsating and quivering as if animals were burrowing down her fallopian tubes looking for an escape. Ugh. In fact, he concluded that the rabbits were born dead because of the pressure of being expelled from the uterus. Hmm. I mean, clearly this man is a medical genius. Yes. St. Andre was so convinced that rabbits were being born, he even claimed to help her give birth to the 15th rabbit. Yes, by this point, she had given, quote-unquote, birth to 14 rabbits. Oh, my God. Other doctors were a little bit more skeptical. St. Andre even published a book called A Short Narrative of an Extraordinary Delivery of Rabbits. The book is about 40 pages, including the covers, and can be read on archive.org if you so choose. You can visit our website, and there's a link right there in the sources. Just a heads up, every other word is capitalized for some unknown reason. Here are some of my favorite lines. About 10 minutes after, as near as I can judge, she again fell into labor pains, though more sudden and short than the former, at which time I again delivered her of the head of the rabbit, with the fur on, part of one of the ears being torn off, also without any blood or moisture. Yes. I don't know what moisture refers to, but... so like. <laughs> Dried rabbit jerky? That is, that is missing one ear. <laughs> oh. 
So then this genius, keep it in mind, he's the royal surgeon, right? (laughs) Then this genius goes on to say how he dissected the animals and how some of these animals were several months old, yet he still believed she gave birth to them. He allegedly never ate rabbits after delivering them from a human being. Oh, so he and and you have something in common. Totally. We went to medical school (laughs) for the exact same length of time. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you have two things in common. (laughs) Now, the king was not satisfied with that answer and sent another surgeon to further investigate. I couldn't figure out if this was a surgeon anatomist or just a regular old boring surgeon. So this regular surgeon or surgeon anatomist, Syriacus Allers, took his schooling a little bit more seriously. He examined the rabbit parts and took them back with him to London. He had conducted autopsies and found dung pellets in the rectum of one of the quote-unquote birthed rabbits. The poop contained corn, hay, and straw. So the logical explanation here, since hay and straw do not grow inside the human body, is that the rabbits ate some hay and straw before they were shoved in, hopefully killed first. Allers declares this to be a hoax. Mary was moved to London and taken to a bathhouse. Random fact, according to Google Maps, that's about 37 miles. Let's say 40 for easy math. According to historic UK website, stagecoaches travel an average of five miles an hour with a break every 10 to 15 miles. So for 40-mile travel, that's an entire day. Not relevant, but I felt like I needed to know this. It's fair. During this period, she was examined by a multitude of doctors and shockingly, no more rabbits were birthed. She was badly infected, though, and visibly ailing. To further solidify the hoaxy nature of this tale, her sister-in-law was soon caught trying to sneak a rabbit into the bathhouse. Oh my God, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> I ho- was it a dead rabbit or a living rabbit? The source did not say. <laughs> I don't know which is worse. <laughs> now, this story is especially sad seen how many animals were needlessly killed for this hoax. And because Mary doesn't seem to be getting the medical attention she needs, she was charged with, and this is a quote, a notorious and vile cheat and sent to Bridewell Prison where she was displayed as a sideshow. Her jailers put her on display to large crowds while she was awaiting trial. But then the case was dismissed, not for lack of evidence because Clearly, there was a lot of it, but because of how much embarrassment it brought to poor King George and his surgeon, anatomist, extraordinaire, doctor person. Clearly, she didn't give birth to rabbit parts. When <laughs> Are we sure? I, I, I think the fact that, you know, there was corn, hay, and straw might be a little bit of a, you know, uh, or the fact that they're rabbits. <laughs> Sounds like fake news to me. (laughs) Now, when she was questioned about it, she said that after her miscarriage, while her uterus was still open, she inserted the cat and rabbit parts. Then with people watching, she pushed out the body parts and faked contractions. Now, her original story was she craved rabbits, and while she was pregnant, lo and behold, she gave birth to rabbits while she was in the field. But then... Under interrogation, she had three different confessions that were reported to Dr. James Douglas. 
Now, if you have an hour or two or 10 to spare, you can read the transcription of Dr. Douglas's extremely disorganized notes that were transcribed by a historian named Dennis Todd. He's a professor over at Georgetown, and he's really good at reading old handwritten English script. Now, the first confession was on December 7th, 1726. That's three months after her rabbit birthing for those keeping track. So in the first confession, she says that she had a miscarriage and a substance came out. I'm not going to describe it. If you want to know more, again, please go to the website where all of our sources are listed and you can get all the icky details you want. So then Mary claims that a mysterious woman came to her and said that Mary shouldn't be afraid because she, and this is a Mary quote, do to get so good a living that I should never want as long as I lived. It's a very confusing line, but essentially it's a get-rich-quick scheme. This mysterious woman cut a rabbit with her scissors into two pieces because according to Mary, one piece would not fit. Uh, so awful. <laughs> so sometimes this mysterious woman would wrap the rabbit parts in pig bladders, but would then burn the pig bladders after. But then Mary says she wasn't always able to burn the bladders. Wait, burn, I don't know why the bladders burn them inside bladder. of her. No, 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 outside. Oh, I don't know. Okay, okay. I was getting really worried. You never know. <laughs> I mean, clearly anything can happen in this yeah, story. At this point, it can't, nothing surprises me. <laughs> now, the doctor didn't believe this confession. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> so under further duress, uh, she did admit that she experiences fits, which we now call epilepsy. So the second confession came the very next day, and she doesn't know where the rabbit parts came from. Her mother-in-law and Dr. Howard must have done it because no one else was around, they must have shoved them in one no. piece at a time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> because every time she would birth one, Anne talked, and Dr. Johnny would take it to show others. Now, Mary doesn't think the rabbits bred in her. And quote, they, i.e. Anne Toft and Dr. Johnny, they always told me that they bred there. I thought they would never have done breeding. <laughs> uh, I just... I hate that they're in pieces. I, that's not the worst part, but it's it's pretty awful. <laughs> this 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 story. <laughs> yeah. Again, Doctor Douglas did not believe her. Again, shocking. So, <laughs> her third confession came four days later, twelve twelve seventeen twenty six, while she was in Bridewell Prison. Now, before this third confession, she was threatened with a very painful procedure to find the source of the rabbit. And in this state of extreme duress, she confided that her mother-in-law taught her how to strip a young chit or cat and told her to throw the head and skin away. But Mary needed to save the guts and liver for this hoax. So when she gave quote-unquote birth, Antoff would act surprised and have the pieces sent to Dr. Howard. Now, in this version of event, her husband provided the rabbits, but had no idea what she did with them. I tend to believe the third confession is the closest to the truth, but I also find it hard to believe that her husband is innocent here. Yeah. I mean, come on. He would get a rabbit. He's not eating rabbit stew. She magically gave birth to rabbit parts. And you're telling me <laughs> he had no idea it's the same rabbit. Huh? <laughs> 
if Mary is using the rabbit livers, why are the first words that Anne used to describe the birthed object a liverless cat? So many questions. (laughs) Now, as I'm sure you could imagine, this whole incident led to the downfall of the surgeon anatomist St. Andre. No. And it even led to a broadsheet, which is like an old-timey comic book. And it was called The Doctors in Labor or a New Wim-Wham from Guilford. It mocked poor Mary, who I really feel sorry for here, and the doctors who believed her. The link is in the notes online if you want to read this broadsheet. Or you can just Google it. There are 12 scenes. Like in the first scene, she's held by some people and she has a rabbit in either hand. And the scene is captioned rather harshly with the words, poor Mary Toft in ignorance was bred and never betrayed a deep designing head, never seemed cut out for plots, yet never did wise, like her imposed so grossly on man midwife, who scorning reason, common sense, and nature placed all their faith in such a stupid creature. Aww. The second scene has Mary pursuing a rabbit while working in the field. And then the third scene, she's dreaming of being impregnated by a rabbit while Cupid is by her bed holding a rabbit in both hands and so on. It's a, it's a very interesting broadsheet. Yeah. It's not nice to marry at all. No. Another doctor, this one's not a surgeon anatomist, he wrote a book called The Female Physician. It was not about, you know, being a female doctor, but more about the being doctor of of females. Now, grammar aside, Dr. John Mowbray theorized that a mother's thoughts can imprint on the unborn child. So if a cherry or a pear fell on a pregnant woman, that shape might appear as a birthmark. And if this woman longed for muscles, well, her child can be born looking like some shellfish. Really, According to this doctor, any abnormality in the child is totally the fault of the mother. He wasn't alone. The British Medical Journal in 1875 described a two-headed, three-legged baby that resembled two men wrestling. And the mother claimed that she was frightened earlier in her pregnancy at a fair by two men hugging each other closely. Is that homophobia? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not exactly sure. showing emotion. (laughs) It caused her to give birth to a two-headed, three-legged baby. So, (laughs) see, homosexuality is bad, but it's done. In 1893, the British Medical Journal has another story of a woman who ate apples morning, noon, and night. And she gave birth to a child with an extra finger. And this finger was rounded and delicately hanging like an apple on a stalk. Again, the link in the source shows an image of this apple-like appendage. Now, this seems to be a common theme. When in doubt, a female did it. She's a witch. Can we buy her? <laughs> They're all witches. And again, <laughs> this is the 1800s, which Crazy. in the grand scheme of things, in how old the earth is, that's not that long ago. It is really, really not. It's wild that we were doing stuff like that or I guess we loosely but it's crazy that stuff like that was happening back in the day and the surgeons were so uneducated and just please tell me that people don't still believe that pregnant women can give birth to animals now this story seems far-fetched but really think of any of the stories we see today in the tabloids 
Mary's story has the makings of a scandal. St. Andre is a foreigner that isn't to be trusted. King George, the person in power, is ridiculed and reviled. And a woman giving birth to an animal has clickbait written all over it. Fake news is not a new phenomenon. In fact, I found an article claiming that a Zimbabwean woman gave birth to a pig. A 35-year-old Zimbabwean woman allegedly gave birth to a baby with the features of a pig, and the community blamed it on witchcraft. By the way. Oh, come on. So she, she just gave birth to an ugly baby and they were like, <laughs> witchcraft. It gets better. This is 2019, Ellie. Oh, of course it was. Now, waist up is pig. The bottom half is a human. The story says this died a few days later. Oh. There's no picture attached because in 2019, no one had a cell phone near them, apparently. Now, why would they? There are other stories. Like, there was one where a South African woman allegedly gave birth to puppies after sleeping with her family dog. But the website that posts that story also claims that it's a satirical website, which... Unfortunately, many people don't know what satire mean. I also found another story about a baby goat that looks like a human baby in Malaysia. Even in the U.S., in 2016, there was a story about a 22-year-old Alabama woman who was impregnated by the family goat Nibbles. Nibbles? <laughs> well, shame on Nibbles. <laughs> their love child is this goat-human hybrid was named Nibbles Jr., <laughs> The Alabama story is on a defunct link that I found on the Snopes article. Believe it or not, the Snopes article found that the puppies and the goat stories were false. Both of them used the same hazy pixelated image that were claiming to be the puppy or goat or whatever the story was about. The worldwide news has to get its news from somewhere. They would have loved Mary. Going at this from a fake news angle is just too easy, but don't fret. I'm going to leave fake news to be a story all on its own for a future episode. Mary's story is also sad because it seems that she was either taken advantage of or had mental health issues or both. Again, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really diagnose her. Another future topic, spoiler alert here, mental health then and now. So let's let the moral of the story be the amazing doctoring skills of Johnny Howard and St. Andre. Before, people who could afford tuition attended lecture. I can't really find the length of the time for school, but now you have to finish an undergraduate degree, which can be four years, then pass a medical college admissions test, also known as MCATs. Then you go to medical school, which is another four years. Your schooling in medical school has lectures and clinical rotation. Then you have a licensing exam, which is taken in two parts. Then there's residency, which is another three years. Still not done. After residency, you would take the third part of the medical licensing exam, and then you'd get certified in your chosen field. And the final step is just to get state certified. It's extra terrifying when you think about how many awful doctors there are now, and they're going through that. <laughs> and these guys are just like, you know what? I'm a doctor now. I've decided. <laughs> you know what the last person that finished last in their doctoring school is called, right? Uh, college, college doctor? No, you're someone's 9 a.m. appointment on Monday. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll take a step further comparing doctoring then and now. 
The first ultrasound was used in 1956 in Glasgow, and oddly enough, the prototype was based on a tool used to detect industrial flaws in ships. Hmm. I'm not going to bore you with the technical details, but according to LifeScience.com, the way it worked is it bounced ultrasonic sound waves at the body structures and just detected the echoes bouncing back. Ultrasound didn't even become popular in England until the 1970s, which is 250 years after Mary's ordeal. And because technology is constantly evolving, we now have 3D and 4D ultrasound. On the other hand, the FDA and the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists discourage using commercial ultrasound machines because it exposes the fetus to a large amount of ultrasound waves, and that can be damaging. The difference between 3D and 4D is 3D ultrasound takes multiple cuts of a 2D image from like different angles and it puts it together to have like a 3D image. 4D takes it a further step and shows movement like kicking or closing eyes. You think that's cool? I think that's creepy, but I don't have children. I mean, it's, you know, it can be both. (laughs) I guess. Let's let's say it's both. Gynecology was first mentioned in the Cahoon Gynecological Papyrus from 1800 BCE. This papyrus focused on fumigating a pregnant woman's womb with incense and rubbing her eyes with goose-like fat. I need to know, how did they settle on goose-like fat exactly? Was someone like rubbing duck neck fat, then pig belly fat, and finally like goose-like fat to find out what effect it has on women in Egypt? Process of elimination. That's science. (laughs) (laughs) Let's fast forward a lot to the late 1800s. Dr. James Marion Sims pioneered the use of a tool which resembled the bent handle of a pewter spoon. Consider this the precursor to this speculum that's used today. Essentially, what happened is a woman fell off a horse and he, quote, needed to look directly into her vagina. The 20th century uh, gave us oral contraceptives and IUDs, artificial insemination, and in vitro fertilization. But who knows what the 21st century will bring? Maybe 3D printed ovaries for infertile patients. I can't even imagine what AI can do for gynecology and obstetrics. I'm just waiting for when we can grow babies in pods that we plug in at the foot of our bed. And not have to carry them and push them out like rabbits? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I shall give birth when it's done in a pod (laughs) outside of my body. (laughs) Maybe the 22nd century. (laughs) Yeah, we'll give it time. I've got time. Too long, didn't listen. Well, in summary, Mary had a little rabbit whose fleece might have been white at some point before it was shoved up her hoo-ha. Royal surgeon anatomist extraordinaire, Dr. St. Andre, although he wasn't a doctor, examined Mary and confirmed the numerous rabbit births were indeed genuine. But another, more logical and scientific doctor, autopsied the rabbit parts and found evidence that they had been inserted into Mary before her quote-unquote delivery. 300 years later, fake news and sensational hoaxes still proliferate, but at least medical care has improved. As always, thank you so much for listening and for sticking with us. We're new, we're figuring it out, and our quality is only going to keep improving. 
And that's all we got for you today. Join us every other week for another story from the annals of history. If you enjoyed this, please go on and rate us on your favorite podcast channel. We can't do this without your support. If you have a historical event you'd like us to share, please hit us up. You can find us online at Oh The Good Old Days on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at Oh The Good Old Days. That's Oh The Good Old Days with old and days sharing a D. We need your support and every five-star rating helps. You know what, Ellie? Maybe the good old days weren't so good after all. Seems more and more like they really weren't. 